Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Asset Allocated podcast. Uh, I'm Dave Baxter. I'm the funds editor on Sister Title Investors Chronicle. And this time around, unfortunately, David Thorpe is away. But we do have Damien Fantasi, the deputy editor of Asset Allocator. Damien, how are you doing? Very well, yeah, yeah. Enjoying the lovely weather, which has now turned into rain, uh, which is uh, probably a good thing in the grand scheme of things, yes. A, a classic, classic English June. Uh, lovely yeah. times, isn't it? <laughs> um, but but yeah. So um, let's let's get stuck in. Let's move to perhaps more interesting shores for our latest sort of tuck into the database and just looking at what's going on. Mm. Um, we've recently in asset allocator, we've been talking a bit about. Uh, I suppose to start with talking about Asia emerging markets, um, and I guess there have been some. You know, I suppose I suppose what stands out to me about kind of emerging markets in Asia at the minute is one of the big market narratives at the start of this year was the, the idea that, you know, there's the big China reopening play. So far, that's been perhaps a little bit damp. You know, things haven't really kind of surged in the way people expected. And many emerging market funds are either flat or a bit down this year just because uh, Chinese uh, shares haven't done especially well, and that's such a big part of the index. Um, mm. But yeah, we've, or you guys have been looking, haven't you, at kind of where, you know, where DFMs, I suppose, are sort of uh, showing most conviction when it comes to kind of EM funds. And, yeah, uh, I suppose, yeah. well, we've been looking at Asia Pacific funds and um, the exposure to China, I guess. And it's kind of interesting because. Um, I mean, we say this in uh, we said this in the a recent uh, a recent edition of Asset Allocator. They, uh, the FMs have kind of been taking a choose your own adventure approach to um, to China exposure in in um, in, in Asia Pacific funds because there's you know the, the funds that the funds that are most popular have wildly differing um, exposures to China. You know, for example, on the one hand, you've got Veritas um, Asia, which has you know, an exposure of, of well beyond um, the MSCI Asia Pacific index, a thirty-seven percent. And then on the other hand, you've got um, funds which are, have got a, a much uh, lower allocation. You know, for example, you know, going all the way down to the going all the way down to the the Fidelity Pacific index, which is actually, despite its name, or perhaps got as got an, uh, an exposure of zero percent to. Um, to to China, it's actually sixty three percent of that uh, tracker is actually um is actually Australian equities. Oh wow, yes, yeah. yeah. So more leaning um, towards the sort of Pacific side rather than the yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so it's there's a really there's a really wide um w- wide range of the most popular Asian fund is um, Schroeder Asian Income, which is seventeen, mm. uh, I think, seventeen uh, percent. Um. Yeah, and again, that has. I mean, I, I was having a brief look at this fund. Um, I suppose because of its kind of income remits, it's almost like with global income funds leaning leaning away from the US. You kind of have in EM and Asia, you have you know um, an income remit will lead you kind of perhaps other places in China. It seems so. For example, uh, stocks like TSMC are, are quite prominent in that fund, and it has a decent exposure to Australia, which. Um, has been quite a juicy income play in the last year or two, just because of the the commodities boom. Mm. Um, so that's yeah, that's quite an interesting kind of dynamic. 
Yeah, but the majority of um, the majority of funds that DFMs are using are, are underweight compared to the compared to the index. Um, but yeah, there's a sort of there's a very much a wide wide variety of um, um, of, of option of, of choices which have been made. Mm. Um, um, I, I guess it'll be interesting to see the extent to which they do um, uh, keep. Well, like, yeah. To, to which they do kind of either go with something more pro-China or something that's kind of going in different directions. Because um, I suppose once again this year you're seeing, um, you know, I, I was looking recently, if, if you look at the kind of Asia and EM funds that have done well this year, and I suppose it's only, you know, five months or so, but still those, those are the ones that are tending to lean to places like India. Those are the kind of ex-China remits, um, and you know some some names that lean more into areas such as Latin America and so on. So um, yeah, perhaps that will, uh, that will inevitably remain an interesting dividing line, I suppose, for kind of DFMs with those allocations. Yeah, there are a few there are a few funds which are used which are China specific. Yeah. Um, uh, um, Fidelity China Consumer, Fidelity China Special Sits, and. Uh, Alliance, the two Alliance funds, Alliance All, All China and Alliance China Asia, so the are the most prominent ones. But they're only held by a, a couple of a couple of DFMs, two each. And I think they've but they've both they've both seen some sales. Um, they've both seen some sales in recent in recent times. So they're not as popular as they were. It would appear. And. How do things look in terms of um, kind of putting our spot here, but in terms of other single country funds? Because I suppose, interestingly, you've seen the rise of, uh, you know, one one area that stands out is India. Also, I suppose Vietnam has a few dedicated trusts that were, at least until recently, were kind of performing extremely strongly and perhaps could draw some, some attention. Yeah, there are a few. There are a few dotted around. You know, um, the only one that has got any sort of substantial, substantial and very inverted commerce traction is um, Stuart Investors Indian Subcontinent Sustainability, which is held by two two DFMs. Um, you've got a few other funds which have got um, which have got one which are held by one um, DFM. Um, Perhaps um, I suppose perhaps the most notable one is the in, the Ashoka India Trust. Um, I guess that's probably one of the more the more notable ones. Um, yeah, uh, I mean that's Al- an... Alquiti India Subcontinent. Yeah, that's another that's another one. Interesting. Um, the Vietnam. There's only one. We've only got one Vietnam fund in our database, which is the Dragon Capital one, which is held by one DFM. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Maybe maybe it's just a few kind of particularly. I mean, yeah, you mentioned the Ashoka Trust that has tended to do extremely strongly in recent years, and it has quite a um, just an interesting approach because it's very active. It has a kind of only really has a performance fee, doesn't really have an ongoing charge or anything like that, and it's kind of very full on stock picking, you might say. So perhaps that's um, turning heads. Yeah, it's not. It's not. You know, there's not a huge amount of activity going on there. It's. It's been. It was bought by one DFM in at the end of last year, and that's mm. kind of it. Really. It's not as if, you know, it hasn't seen a huge amount of buying. It hasn't seen a huge amount of selling. Um, the same with its. Um, if it's, I suppose, its sister fund, Ashoka India, an Indian opportunity is again been bought by. It was bought by one, actually, in 
2019, a little bit further back, and they've held on to it. Nobody else has really has really um, looked what looks at it one way or the other. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's move on to uh, another market that's been uh, in the news. Um, Japanese equities, after quite some time in the doldrums, have uh, looked a bit sort of bit chirpier. Uh, they've had quite the rally this year. Recently hit roughly a uh, thirty-year high, um, and they're sort of yeah gaining anecdotally at least, kind of gaining a bit more attention again. Um, has that translated into what we're seeing as all model portfolios? Yeah, well, I think this is really fascinating in a way because, um, as you say, um, one of the things that has been sort of um, you know. One of the things that has been characterized, I suppose, at the start of the year for markets is just the tear that Japanese equities have been on. But DFMs, and this is something that goes back a long, long way, DFMs just seem to be completely uninterested in Japanese equities. Um, they've kept, you know, that the allocation, the average allocation to Japanese equities has sort of stayed within three and four percent. Yeah. Pretty much since the, the asset allocated database was created in in 2018 and it's just not it's not budged within that sort of fairly narrow um narrow um bound um for whether you know and and, and japanese equities i suppose have been have, it's been an interesting time for 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 the for japan mm. as a country um over the course of that that period but yeah the, and as 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 you said as japanese equities have sort of gone up this year they, that you that, that hasn't corresponded with a with an increase in allocation, the average allocation now sits at three point four percent. So, which is sort of perfectly, perfectly within that three, three to four percent um, uh, boundary. Um, so, yeah, that's 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 just quite interesting. And 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 in fact, that DFMs are sort of broadly speaking much cooler on 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 Japanese equities than the market or indeed fund managers, the IA global sector has an average uh, exposure of uh, 5% to Japan. The MSCI world has an average exposure of um, a little over 6% to Japan. So um, DFMs are much, are much, well, not much, probably is, a bit, is overstating it, but DFMs are cooler on, on, on Japan than, than either fund managers or, or, or the market more broadly. Yeah, very interesting. I mean, perhaps it's, I, I sometimes wonder if it's just the market that people uh, have struggled to find it compelling narrative for i mean you, you do have the kind of uh, you, you still have uh, the kind of lasting effect for things like things like abenomics and people often mm -hmm. talk about the corporate reforms and the um you know the outlook looking nicer in terms of things like dividend growth but, but i mean i i remember even a few years ago writing something for asset allocator and dfms we spoke to were kind of were of the view that yes it looked cheap but our relative cheapness compared with other markets there, there wasn't perhaps much to get them excited and i suppose if you think about that in the context of the sheer dominance of u.s equities maybe that that makes sense um mm. yeah perhaps that's yeah i mean perhaps it's easier to have that it's easier to frame um frame a portfolio within the context of uk equities i suppose which are fairly easy which easier to characterize i know that you know i've spoken to many uk equity fund managers 
recently who would who would dispute the characterization of um of uk equities but i guess uh it's their it's their job to uh, dispute the characterization of uk equities um and and us equities again easier to easier to characterize um you could probably argue the same for emerging markets as well. Um, Japan, um, maybe, maybe less so. It's 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 very much its its own thing, in a way, which um which doesn't necessarily um, tell a good tale. I mean, I suppose one of the interesting things about Japan, uh, from our from the purpose from the point of view of our database, is that it's the one area where it's the one area where Bailey Gifford has a good has a good story to tell. Um, mm. We've covered uh, on a several occasions the fact that. Um, DFMs are going a bit cool on 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 Bailey Gifford funds, and but Japan and Japan, Japanese equities was one of the one of the the areas, um, possibly the area where um, Bailey Gifford still still um, is the first choice for for for, for DFMs. Um, Bailey Gifford Japanese is is the most popular active fund. Uh, it's held by six DFMs. It, it's tied with the the Fidelity Index. Fidelity Japanese Index Fund, so that's why I specify active. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Bailey Gifford Japanese is the most popular active fund, um, and it's it's Bailey Gifford Japanese Income Growth is also it also has has a following two two DFMs holders, and um, the, the 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 investment trust version of that fund, Bailey Gifford Japan Trust, is is also held by three three DFMs. So yeah, that, that's uh, that's the other I suppose notable thing about the about. Uh, Japanese equities, as far as our database is concerned. Yeah, yeah, interesting. I suppose they're holding up well because there are there are quite a few. Um, even if it is kind of a a market people are relatively unenthused about, there are quite a few pretty established fund houses and pretty established franchises within that that equity market. So, um, yeah, some some good news for for Bailey Gifford there. It falls all out in that. <laughs> <In Edinburgh>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, maybe not. Well, we'll see. Um, as yeah. we've covered before, the um, you know the Scottish Mortgage, for example, is a is an example of one of the Bailey Gifford funds, which has uh, which uh, DFMs have been gradually backing away from, uh, like yeah. that, um, like that um, uh, meme of um, Homer Simpson backing through the hedge into the hedge. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I guess one. I mean, you do, you have clearly seen um, investment style divergences within Japan. So, for example, uh, if you think of value in Japan, the really obvious name it seems is Manjioji Japan Core Alpha, and yeah. that was that was absolutely flying last year, absolutely flying the year before. This year is, I believe, doing okay, but you know, a bit more of a sort of modest um, performance. So, you still do see those um, differentials. But with the Bailey Gifford funds, I think an interesting if you look in some of their literature, an interesting point they note is just that the, uh, unlike in some other markets, you perhaps don't have to pay as much of a premium for growth stocks. So I don't know, maybe you'll see, maybe they're less exposed to the kind of growth batterings than some of the kind of Bailey Gifford portfolios in, in the US and kind of other markets. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But, but we should yeah, see. yeah G, that fund. It's, it's it was once upon a time. It was it was it was popular in our database. It's had its fair, it's seen its fair share of sales. Mm-hmm. I suppose the only fund that ca- that the fund the, the challenger now for that Bailey Gifford crown is uh, JPM Japan. Um, yeah, five DFMs. Um, that's kind of become the the the, the challenger um, for the title. I suppose if if anyone is going to overtake Bailey Gifford, yeah, that's going to be the one. Yeah, 
Yeah, interesting if Core Alpha hasn't won back the uh, won back the attention um, on the back of such a strong couple of years. But mm, yeah, yeah, we will see. Yeah, well, very interesting. But I'm afraid that is all we have time for. Uh, so, Damien, thanks for your time, and uh, thank you everyone for for listening. Thank Take you. Thank you. Very pleasant. Very good to spend the. Take this short trip to Japan and China with you. <laughs> Always a fun break from the English summer. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Until next time. Thanks. Bye bye. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's stamps.com, code PROGRAM.